Hello, welcome to Off Curve. I am Wicked Good, and I'm talking to you about Hearthstone on my drive home from work. It is Wednesday, May 16th, 2018. Um, I actually wanted to record this yesterday, but if you follow the news at all, you might have seen something about, like, a ridiculous storm system that went through the Northeast, and uh, that happened to hit Boston right at the time that I got off the train. Actually, it, it started, like, the first raindrops were when I was getting on the train, and then as I was um, going further west, it was getting progressively darker and darker until I got off the train, noticed it was really dark, but couldn't really see what was going on outside, and the conductor, as he was opening the doors up, said, open your umbrellas outside, and followed by, you're gonna have to, you're, you're gonna have to go past me, because I'm not getting out in that, so <laughs> I, I got out of the, the train, and it's probably about a quarter mile between the, the, where the train lets off on the platform, and where my car is, and it was, like, the heaviest rain I've ever seen in my life, like, I, it, I didn't have an umbrella, and it really didn't matter, because, like, you really weren't going to be able to open up an umbrella in that anyway, and I just ran for it, and had trouble breathing because the rain was going sideways, and, like, I was breathing in the rain, and the rain was going, like, into my eyes over my glasses, so I couldn't see where my car was, so <laughs> I was, uh, needless to say, I was not super feeling recording an episode yesterday as much as I wanted to, um, in response to the nurse, but I think it's probably good because it's given me, like, a day to think about them, and my takes are not quite as hot as they might have been yesterday, um, but we have plenty of time to talk about that. Uh, really quick, as far as my ladder is concerned, I've been kind of going up and down. I, I got as far as um, rank two five stars, I think, uh, with Control Priest is predominantly what I've been climbing with. I was trying a Shutterwalk Shaman that uh, my friend Sean Smoker sent to me that I don't really want to publish yet because I think I want to save it for after the nerfs because it's something that he and I have been kind of tinkering with, and it's it's got promise, but it just can't keep up in this meta right now. Um, but I, I switched to, I think it was Fibonacci's Control Priest. It was after the, the one of Holy Fire became core, and then um, he had worked in a swashling, which was some, sometimes useful, and sometimes uh, was felt like kind of dead weight. Um, I've been switching to today to a version that Orange uh, put up on his Twitter that goes for more of a Twilight Acolyte Cabal Shadow Priest package, and, and I think that helps with uh, Warlock a little bit more. I, I know that there are different schools of thought on this, on this um, deck, and there are some people who are going, like, all face with it. Like, there's a list that Monsanto put out that uh, Meaty and Casey have been kind of iterating on. Casey's actually taking it to the extreme, but generally there's there's two schools of thought. One is that you play it more like a control deck, and you have control tools, and then you have... Uh, both of them run Double Mind Blast, Anduin, and Alex, and the, the combo is that, or the, the way that you finish the game typically is you you have Anduin down, you, you hit them in the face with Alex, and then you go... Um, Anduin Hero Power, Mind Blast, Hero Power, Mind Blast, Hero Power, and that's 16 damage, so that's generally like a two-turn kill setup. Um, the Holy Fires become 
part of the deck mainly because you don't always get Anduin. So that gives you another way to do it. Like sometimes, actually the way that you sometimes get them sneakily is that they'll assume that you have Anduin, that you need Anduin to do the 15 damage and then you can just go um, Holy Fire, Mind Blast, Mind Blast on 10 and that's, and that's enough. Um, so some of them have just been going all face and throwing in double Life Drinker, double Holy Fire, double Mind Blast and Casey's List even goes so far as to run Velen and Holy, and Holy Smite, which is like too much of a good thing, I think. I mean, and I know that um, Ridiculous Hat and I have had disagreements because he's playing a very, playing the list very differently than I am. And which is to be expected given our tendencies in, in play style. And I'm trying to play it more like a control deck. So I kind of prefer Orange's approach. And I think that he's probably right in the long term. But the, the, the double life drinker list can get more sneaky lethals and, and can find, can draw into the burn more easily against things like Control Warlock which I'm kind of struggling with right now and like druids and stuff like that. So it's kind of, I don't know which one is better. I mean, it may be that neither of these are better once the, the nerfs go away, when the nerfs come in, but you know, whatever. Um, I also happened to pull a golden Azalina soul thief in a pack last night. So I started playing the Togwaggle, the King Togwaggle, Aviana Kuhn, uh, Azalina soul thief deck in wild, which I kind of, ignored for a while just because I didn't have all the cards for it and I really didn't want to craft Azalina Soul Thief, which is the one card I was missing. Now that I have that, that deck is a blast. Like, I ended up, um, I went, I, I think I played, like, four games with it last night. I lost one to a Paladin. Um, I beat a Tempo Mage just because I just ran them out of stuff. And I, there was another game that was, like, against a Hunter that they just conceded really quickly as soon as I got to 10 mana. I don't even remember, but it, it was pretty early on that they just conceded. And um, there was this one game against the Kingsbane Rogue, which, as you all know, if you're listening to this, um, that is the bane of my existence. <laughs> so, but, so they, I, I play Kingsbane Rogue. This is a full-on mill version in Wild that runs Gang Ups and Cold Light Oracles and also has all the Kingsbane shenanigans, and I, I just decide that I'm going to play it out, I'm going to just armor up as much as I can, draw as quickly as I can, and try to get to the combo, and see if, like, maybe I can steal a Kingsbane, or I could swap their deck out while the Kingsbane is in it, you know, something like that, uh, they're not letting me do that, obviously, but I did manage to pull the combo off when they didn't have any more Cold Light Oracles in hand, I believe, and, or maybe they did, maybe they had, like, one, I don't remember, but I, it, like the whole game was like a blur afterward because I ended up getting, they had Valera in hand and I somehow got Cold Light Oracles and I had a Vanish or two in the deck. I forget if it was one or two. And I just decided I was going to start milling them. <laughs> and long story short, I got them, I, I ended up milling them to the, to the point where we both lost in a draw by pulling them to like seven or eight in fatigue, which was ridiculous. So I, the deck is difficult, but it's a lot of fun to play. And so I might spend some more time in wild. I don't know if it's going to be good after the nerfs come down, but we, we probably should get around to talking to those. Cause I've been babbling on for a while. And, um, you know, I do have a longer commute today cause I drove all the way in the office, but you also want to hear about the nerfs. So, uh, let's get to that. 
Oh, one other thing before we get to the nerfs, because I'm generally terrible about promoting my own stuff and I want to make sure to do it. Um, so I, I worked on, like the last week or so, I worked on a, um, a project that's been starting to get some attention. And if you're a new listener to the show, welcome, if you came because of that. Um, so there's a lot of analysis that goes on around the, um, the Hearthstone Championship Tour deck lists and a, a lot of work that happens to collate all the lists and then try to analyze like who's bringing what lineup and whatever. And um, when the EU list came out, there was um, one of the Yay Tears is the one who assembles all the lists uh, typically. And so he was putting this together. And I've, I've wanted to do this for a while, but I've never really had the raw data to do it. Um, just because it's it, the way that Yay Tears collates the list, he puts them all into, he just takes screenshots of all the, of all the lists and puts them out on a Google Drive. Um, there's a, a caster from Brazil named Abaporu who put them all into a spreadsheet. So I decided, okay, well, if this is in a spreadsheet, now I can do stuff with it. Um, as, as some of you know, I'm a data architect in my day job. And so I work with data visualization software a lot. Like that's my primary, I don't know if my, my primary job, we, I do a lot of things, but, um, you know, maintaining that software is the, one of the things that I do. And so part of maintaining the software is just learning how to, how to use it really well so that you can help the users with it. So I'm like, well, you know, all this Excel stuff is great. I can build a dashboard out of this. So that's what I did. Um, you can find it on, um, on my site. It's at multiball.net slash HCT dash deck lists. Um, I'll have a link to it in the show notes as well. It's an interactive browser for all of the, um, all of the decks that are brought to the Hearthstone championship tour. Uh, th- what's unique about this, other than the fact that it visualizes it really well and it's more interactive than some of the Excel spreadsheets, is that uh, it's collating all of the lists all into one thing. So you can actually look at all of the lists together as opposed to having to look at them all like by individual spreadsheet by tournament. Um, and you can see things like how many people brought a specific deck type, uh, a class, how, how the, the deck choices were within a class, um, how many people within an archetype, you can actually go down to the point of seeing like how many people made specific card choices down to the number of car, a number of copies of a card. Um, you know, so it's a lot of interesting stuff that I, I kind of built for myself and I figured that it would be useful for other folks too. Um, so take a look at that. If, if you have any feedback, you know, do let me know. Um, you can tweet me at wicked good and, uh, you know, let me know if there's anything that's supposed to be there. I, and one of the things that I want to get in there is win rates, but I don't have the data for that yet. The data collection is kind of the hardest part of this. And I'll probably talk about this. If things calm down, I'll may, I may talk about it more next week because I do want to have a discussion about data at some point. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out when it comes. But do, do check it out. I'm pretty proud of it. Um, it's got a, some, some good attention from some of the people in the pro scene. So I'm happy to do that. I want to do more of it. So, uh, you know, let me, let me know what you think of that. Um, also one other programming note, uh, I have a 50th episode coming up and I have something special planned for that. I'm not going to spill the beans on it yet, but, um, that is coming in a couple of weeks. So I'm pretty excited about that as well. Uh, so I will have more information maybe then, maybe before we'll see what I feel like, but anyway, enough of that. Let's now for real these, let's talk about the nerves. All right, so uh, we got a nerf announcement um, yesterday, and I think it's probably a good thing that I spent the day 
drying myself off, basically. Because um, it gave me kind of a, a, a day to cool down and think about the nurse. And I think in general, they're all really good. But I don't, I'm not sure that they quite go good and go far enough. But I guess we'll kind of, we'll figure that out as we go. But I, I think there's a couple things that I want to point you to before we get into that discussion. Um, one is that there was a really great article on IGN that was an interview with the developers about why they decided to, first of all, why they, what their nerf philosophy is in general, which is kind of interesting to think about now that Bren Broad's not with them anymore. Like they, that's kind of feels like it's changing a little bit. And also, um, like going through each one of these nerfs and even some of the ones that they decided not to make and talk about their thought process for why this card, why not this other card, what, you know, what, what other changes were you thinking about that type of thing? Like it's more open than they've been about some of these things. I mean, they've been getting better about that, but it's even more open than they've been up to now. So I really encourage you to read that to kind of get an idea of what they were thinking about um, and what their thought process is with the nerfs. Um, and also one other thing that I want to point you to is there's um, a podcast that's not new, but it's, it's new to me um, called Last Turn that, that does a lot of strategic discussion. And they had a really good episode that just came out about why nerfs are made in games in general and card games specifically. Um, and, and, you know, it's some of the things that we've talked about on this show too, but um, I think it's important to, to keep in mind that not everything is being nerfed solely for power level. It's also... Um, potentially for design space, like if the, the quest in, the rogue quest in particular has got to be very limiting in terms of design space because, uh, you know, you, they can't print any more one and two drops because then it's just going to get, you know, abused by all of the mechanics that are in quest rogue. Um, so that's one thing that, that to consider. Another one is just like, is it fun? Like, as I talked about last week, the, the meta right now is healthy because there's a few decks that are kind of keeping each other in check, but it's not fun. And because it's just kind of the same things over and over again, and it comes down a lot to the early power turns that you really don't have anything, any way to interact with. Did they draw Call to Arms on four? Did they draw Lackey into Dark Pact on six? Did they draw Spiteful Summoner on six? Um, did did they draw Naga Sea Witch and drop a whole crap ton of giants? Th those types of things, it just feels like the games are decided very early, even if they may go for a few more turns. Like, it's it's kind of academic. So I'm glad that they're kind of rebalancing everything across the board and then making it a little bit more even and, and hopefully opening up some room for some of the newer decks to kind of make themselves seen. It, it does really feel like the Knights of the Frozen Throne nerfs potentially. Like, not so much that it's a, as oppressive because, like, Druid in, in the pre-nerf KFT was... It was just stupid, really. But, like, you didn't really see Tempo Rogue until War Axe got nerfed and, um, and War Leader got nerfed and Innervate and Spreading Plate got nerfed. Like, you didn't see Tempo Rogue. You saw it, like, fringe play in some, in some tournaments, but not really, like, mainstream. And I have a feeling that there are some, top, some, some like, tier two decks that probably will benefit from this. That we might see a little bit more variety. We might be sick of those decks in a month, by the way. But at least they'll be new to us now. Um, so anyway, let, let, that's enough kind of general introduction. Let's talk about the specifics of the cards that are being changed. All right, so let's start with um, let's start with Paladin and Call to Arms 
is going from four mana to five mana. This is something that I didn't realize until after I recorded that episode, that this is probably the simpler solution than what I was proposing, which was changing it to three one-cost minions. And, and the reason is that a lot of Paladin is kind of revolving around Baku and Gen right now. And the, the concern you're going to have with changing the mana cost on any sort of a card right now is that if they're, especially in Paladin where there's both a viable odd and even deck, is that if you adjust the mana cost by one, then you're pushing it into the other deck. This is primarily an issue with Sunkeeper Tarum because one of the main things that they would do if they were to touch Sunkeeper Tarum, which they decided not to, is change the mana cost and just make it come out slower or make it cost more so that you can't do as much behind it. They can't really do that with Tarum because now that pushes it from an even deck into an odd deck. If they make it seven mana, then all of a sudden it's a it's a finisher card in, in odd paladin rather than even paladin. Call to Arms doesn't really work that way because the value of Call to Arms in even Paladin specifically, like what happens is that you're, you're, you're you have to look at mana efficiency, right? So in general, you're, tr- you're playing Call to Arms because it's giving you more mana than those cards would individually at the cost of having to build your deck around it. That's how recruit works, right? Is that you're in general, you're, you're paying less for a minion than you normally would in in exchange for building your deck to take advantage of the recruit mechanics and not get any, like, whiffs. So, when you're talking about, say, something like Oaken Summons, there, there is actually a real, a real cost to that. Because, like, Oaken Summons gives you six armor and summons a four drop and pulls it out of your deck. But the problem is that if you're playing something that is, like, a utility battlecry minion, like an ooze or a um, or a silence, or even something like mind control tech. You can't really do that with Oaken Summons because Oaken Summons can pull that out, which A, is really low value for what you're doing, and B, negates the battle cry, and, and you may as well not have put that in your deck in the first place. Like, people were playing uh, Spellbreaker in Jade Druid in the last meta with Oaken Summons, and it it just felt awful whenever you pulled a Spellbreaker because not only did you pull a 4-3 when you wanted to be pulling a Fandral or you wanted to be pulling an Oak, an Ironwind Golem, but you also lost access to that Silence for the rest of the game. So, in general, and, and I mean, that's that's it's a restraining thing for the, the Recruit Warrior decks that you can really, you can't put something like Dry Whisker Armor in your deck because it's just really bad if you play, if you pay six mana for Gather Your Party or swing a woke cleaver and get a two-two that is not going to give you armor. Um, so it asks you to build your deck accordingly. Call to Arms just asks you to play Paladin, right? Because like you're going to be putting one and two drops in a Paladin deck anyway. That's what Paladin does. Like even in Control Paladins, you still had a bunch of stuff like Loot Hoarder and Dirty Rat when it was in Standard and those types of things that. And while Pyromancer, it's like, it's fine if it just comes out because you're just improving your later draws. So Call to Arms would give you somewhere in the range of three to three to six mana's worth of stuff on the board. And like I said, it cost you three mana before to play small-time recruits just to draw three one-drops into your hand. And then it would just play them out immediately. So that's that's a huge, um, a huge improvement. And deck thinning 
as much as people scoff at it, it is a real thing in Hearthstone when you're doing it on that scale because pulling three two drops out that you're not drawing later actually it does make a difference because you don't want to be drawing those after turn four a lot. Um, it got it got worse in in um, even Paladin because all of a sudden you're not playing one drops. You're just playing two drops. So now you're getting six mana's worth of stuff for four mana guaranteed. So what this does is it takes it out of both the odd and the even decks because in the in the even decks it's no longer going to be able to be played because of the mana cost. In the odd decks you're pulling you're paying five mana to play three one drops out of your deck. Is that worth it? Probably not. Someone's probably going to try it, but I I would imagine that that's going to get cut from the deck pretty quickly if it does. Just because it's not really that great of a deal anymore. Now it's all it's basically fair, and fair cards don't typically get played in constructed. So I I really kind of like how this shakes out. Like it would probably skew things more towards Murloc Paladin because Murloc Paladin can play all those things and take advantage of it. But again, it's a matter of like even then it's it's still going to be a little bit slower. You're it, it probably works better in Murloc Paladin anyway because you're not competing with Gentle Megasaur. But it's not going to be the kind of thing that you can just slam. And even if you're slamming it, it gives another turn to be able to deal with it. It means that things like Vanisher are online, like Coin um, Coin uh, Psychic Screen are online. You can... You have other options. You know, all of Mage's spells can react to them, not just Dragon's Fury, but you can you can Blizzard it. Um, you, you have a lot more options there. Or you can Meteor and Ink clear a bunch of that up too, depending on what else is on board. So, and especially because, you know, there's that term between um, called Arms and Tarim, like, that gives the, that gave the Paladin a chance to really rebuild. And now, if you clear that board, they're not going to be able to just immediately, like, build another board the next turn that you're not going to be able to clear because you don't have an answer, and then, and then throw down Tarim. So I think it's going to help. Um, I think that it at least is going to make the Paladin decks feel different, which is good because they kind of all feel samey. And it's not going to be, like, 28 cards in Call to Arms, which is what Paladin is right now. So I, I think I actually really like the change. I think it's going to help Paladin just come more in line with the other classes as a whole. Okay, so then we get to Warlock, and Warlock had two cards changed. One is Possessed Lackey, which went from five mana to six mana, and one is Dark Pact, which went from eight health to four health. And initially, I was not impressed by this, because my feeling was, or this, is, this was my hot take now, I've, I've calmed down a little bit, but this was my hot take. My hot take was, I don't really care about how much health is on the Dark Pact because the fact of the matter is that it's giving them a really easy way to just kill off Death Rattles and there are Death Rattles other than Possessed Lackey, which are problems like Carnivorous Cube and Rin the First Disciple and this doesn't really address them at all and I've come around from that, I think that it does um, and I think it's going to help a little bit in general and it's kind of, again, it's a little bit more subtle than my heavy-handed pro- approach, which was like, well, just silence the minion you're dark packing so that you take that out and you make them be a little bit more creative. Because at the end of the day, and I still believe this, that, like, the health on those death rattles, not so much Lackey, but 
um, Carnivorous Cube and Rin the First Disciple, the health on there is supposed to be a deterrent. It's supposed to make those difficult to kill off so that it's a challenge to be able to build around that because it is opening you up to counterplay. So being able to like wait one extra turn and then just do it doesn't feel like it's going to help there. But I think it is, and I think the reason is that I kind of underestimated, and I've been thinking about this as I've been playing against more Warlocks the last couple of days, I've underestimated how much that 8 healing makes a difference. Because right now, the way that Warlock works is they can basically tap with Reckless Abandon, and there really is no penalty to it. Um, which means that they can, without any respect for their health, health total whatsoever, can spend the first three or four or five turns just tapping and then know that they're going to lackey into Dark Pact or just be able to Dark Pact like a 1-3 or whatever and then they're going to heal right back up to where they were. Like, how many times have you played against a Warlock, you get them down low and then all of a sudden they're 18 health, like what the hell happened? And that's going to happen less because you're basically cutting 16 points of healing, no sorry 8 points of healing out of the deck. So, now you're, when you're healing for four instead of eight, that means that Lackey Dark Pack doesn't really get you out of harm's way the way that it would now. Like, if you're at 10, you're going up to 18 today. You're only going up to 14 um, with, with a Dark Pact in the New World. And if you're talking about something like Control Priest, that's still within their, their range to kill you. So... I think what this is going to do is this is going to give aggressive decks a chance against Warlock, because both because it's going to take them a, a turn longer to get their Void Lords down, cheated out, which is an eternity against aggro. And even if they do, they're only going to heal up for four, so that may not even be enough to save them. So I don't think that this knocks Cube Lock and can, certainly not Control Lock, because Control Warlock just plays enough taunts that they don't care, that they're not going to be as bothered by this, and they can just throw in more things like Shroom Brewer and they'll be fine. Cube Lock that really does go all in on like drawing cards and playing Mountain Giant, and then um, you know Lackey Dark Pack to heal back up. I think, or, or even just Dark Pack on its own just to heal back up, is going to be a little bit. It's going to be a little bit more difficult to do that, and it's going to be difficult enough that I think it'll probably again. It's not going to kill the deck. I think it's going to be more like Patron Warrior after the after the um, the Warsong Commander nerf, if you remember back that far. Like, it, it killed the deck for a while, or maybe even, like, Aggro Shaman after the Spirit Claws nerf. Like, I don't think this kills the deck, but I do think that it brings its power level down so it's going to be more fair. It may still be a strong deck at the end of this meta. It may be something that we're still considering as a meta deck, but I don't think it's going to be, like, unquestionably head and shoulders above everything else. And I think that what that'll do is potentially will relieve some of the pressure on every single deck to run things like weapon removal and silences. Maybe maybe still weapon removal because Skull Minari is still a big deal and you're still going to be able to keep packed on six, but maybe you don't need to run as many silences because it's you're not going to be seeing Void Lords as early and as often. Um, and you may just be able to just burn them over the top if they do go that way. So, I, I feel like I might have wanted a little bit more severe hit to Dark Pact. I, we may have this conversation again. I have a feeling, and this is something that Ridiculous Hat and I have talked about a lot separately, that um, Carnivorous Cube is the true villain of the piece. 
um, which you're going to find with Tauntruid being able to be more of a deck after this also. Um, especially because Tauntruid's main predator right now is Paladin. And without Paladin and in, in the mix, and without Questro being as potent as it is, I think Tauntruid could be a, a significant force in the meta. Um, but I, I do think that this is going to help, at least in regards to making Warlock feel a little bit less unfair and less broken than it does right now. So the next, the next one that they changed was the Caverns Below, and they're making all of the 5-5s five after you get the quest into 4-4s. Four and I don't know. Um, I think it's good. I think it's, I think it's going to make it a little bit easier to have a game after they finish the quest. Like, I think that, like, the difference between Quest Rogue and Quest Warrior, let's say. Because Quest, I mean, there are basically three quests in CNE play, aside from occasional Quest Priest and Quest Druid shenanigans, and that's Warrior and that's Rogue. And, and the difference between Warrior and Rogue is that Warrior takes a bunch of time to set up, and it's extremely powerful, but it's not insurmountable. Like, there's a, there's a dance you need to do with Quest Warrior, where you need to have enough armor that you don't die, because you're not going to armor up anymore, and the 8 damage isn't guaranteed to kill you, to kill your opponent, rather, because it's random. So, you can stay ahead on board, but you may not just outright win as soon as you finish the quest. It's likely, but there's an opportunity for your opponent. It doesn't feel like that way with Quest Rogue. It feels like most of the time, and, and I say this as someone who has fatigued a Quest Rogue post-quest after they got it on turn 7. But most of the time, once they finish the quest, they have so much value by being able to, because all of their cards get them more cards, like, you have, you have novice engineers which draw you cards. You have, you have elvish um, minstrels that draw you cards. You have shadow steps that bring cards back to your hands. The ones that don't draw cards hit you in the face immediately. Or they hit a minion and heal, right? So they just have so much value that it's just hard to outlast them. And the difference between 4 health and 5 health, as well as the difference between 4 attack and 5 attack, is actually a really big breakpoint. Like... You think about the kinds of things that can do five damage to the board. There's not many of them. There's like, you know, hard removal. There's twisting nether and psychic scream that all cost seven or eight, and that deals with one board. Um, you have things like Dragon's Fury, sort of, but Flame Strike doesn't do it. Um, you've lost Dragonfire Potion. Dragonfire Potion used to be the only thing that could answer like one board, and even then, it's one board. A smart quest rogue player will be able to, you know, conserve the resources in such a way that you can clear one board, but it's the next three that are going to get you. Or they've just vanished. I mean, you know, the, the comp, even the taunts that you can put in the way, like you can keep putting taunts in the way, but most taunts cap out at like four mana. Like if you think of like a primordial drake, like, that's, that caps out at four mana, for, for an attack, rather. But now, trading into a Primordial Drake will kill those things, right? Like, they're not going to be able to trade the Primordial Drake off 
vanish and then do it all over again or, or trade it to the Primordial Drake and Shadow Staff. So, and, and even then, it's like just simple multiplication. Like the difference between four attack and five attack when you're on, say, 20 health, which is a reasonable health total of Beyond, is one minion, right? That's one extra minion they're going to need to hit face to kill you. So, I'm optimistic that it's going to help. I'm not sure. I think that, it, again, as much as I hate the deck, I think it's probably a healthy thing to have in the meta. Just to keep, like, Deadman's Hand Warrior from being, like, the thing, because nobody wants that either. But it's like, I, I keep making com making references to The Simpsons, so I made the reference to Mr. Burns and the Doctor last week, and I'm going to make reference to, um, there was an episode of where they... Springfield got overrun by fauna, by some sort of like frogs or whatever. So they brought in snakes to eat all the frogs, but then the then the town's gonna be overrun with snakes. So okay, well then we brought then we brought in the gorillas to eat the snakes, and then well now the town's overrun with gorillas. <laughs> you know, so it's it, it, that's that's what it kind of feels like. Like it shouldn't be like an oppressive deck that's keeping the oppressive decks down. Like this shouldn't be spiders eating other bugs, right? It should be, like, a, a cycle of things, but anyway. Um, but I think it'll keep Questrobe from just being an auto-win. Like, I think that the it should be an auto-win against decks that just don't want to do anything. I think that if you're playing a fairly proactive control deck or a mid-range deck, like, Spiteful, it shouldn't be able to kill Spiteful Drone. Like, that's a problem. Like, yes, it should be able to kill something like you know, like Dead Man's Hand Warrior or whatever, but it works Troll Warlock. But, like, if it can beat Spiteful Druid, it's too strong. So, hopefully this will change. will be good. I have a feeling we're going to see one more change to Quest Road before it rotates out. But, you know, maybe... I'd love to be proven wrong here. So, the last standard nerf is Spiteful Summoner, which is going up by one mana. I think that's... Again, it's probably fair. Um, I don't know how much of a difference it makes, but at least... It's going to be one more turn that you have to draw into the answers that you're going to have for Spiteful Summoner. I think it's still going to be a problem. Because you still kind of need an answer for a big thing on 7. As opposed to a big thing on 6. But I think the difference is it's going to kind of mess up the curve a little bit. Spiteful Druid really doesn't have anything great to play on 6. So... And, and it messes up them, their Malfurion turn. Like, they really want to go with Summoner on 6 into either 3-drop, 4-drop, or um, or Malfurion on 7. And that's not going to be possible anymore. It's going to be a bit of an either-or, so it's going to slow down Malfurion sometimes, too. Because, obviously, you want to get Spiteful Summoner down early. And, and the effect of slowing down Spiteful Summoner in a deck like that is also that it, you, it leaves you open to being able to draw both copies. Uh, it gives you one more draw for that to happen. It's that a, a, a significant increase? That's probably a couple percentage points, but it matters. It'll make the deck a little bit less consistent. Um, I, but I do think that Spiteful Druid may be one of the big winners here because that's not a huge loss. It's not going to take Spiteful out of the out of the rotation entirely, which, I mean, it shouldn't necessarily. There is, a, again, unlike Call to Arms, there is a big cost for running uh, no spells in your deck. Like, if you're going to pick two spells, you want those two spells to be two copies of Ultimate Infestation. But at the end of the day, you're still not running any spells in your deck otherwise, which means that if you fall behind on board, you don't really have a way to catch up. 
Um, and, and Spiteful Summoner doesn't really do that for you. I would expect they're probably going to print some tank drops with powerful battle cries in the next expansion and just nerf this indirectly. Um, for now, I think it's probably okay. I don't think Spiteful Druid is really super oppressive. It could get there. I think this will kind of just keep it in line with the rest of the decks that are being nerfed. So, finally, we have Naga Sea Witch, which is going from 5 mana to 8 mana. And, and I think this is going to be effective, an effective nerf, nerf. Good grief, words. Um, but I don't really like it. I, I don't like it in terms of what it means. I think that it's good in terms of making Naga decks not oppressive anymore. Because... One, making that three turns slower, and I had a big disagreement with Deck Tech on Twitter when we were first talking about the nerfs, and he eventually convinced me, though I think if it was seven um, instead of eight, I might not be having this opinion, but I think at eight mana, it probably is going to be effective. That um, it's it just, you need you need so, more, so much more in your deck to be able to survive to that like, the Naga decks, like Naga Warlock in particular, it doesn't even bother with, like, Possessed Lackey. It just runs a bunch of expensive cards, and then it just relies on drawing into enough of them and finding a Naga Sea Witch and getting them down. And you need to survive at least until turn 8, not turn 5 now, to be able to get to that win condition, and that's going to be a lot more difficult, and it's going to require a lot more things other than just Giants in your deck, and when a third of your deck is... Giants and Giants accessories. That can be a tall order, especially in Wild. I'm not happy about the nerf because I really feel like it... Um, like, what it does is it effectively just blows the card away, where the card actually... Like, the idea of, of Wild, as it's described, right, is it's a place where you can go to play decks that you used to play. So, you can't play Secret Paladin in Standard now, but you can go play it, you know, reasonably like it was in Wild. You know, maybe some cards are slightly different. Maybe it's not as good at certain times than others because, um, you know, the meta doesn't support it. But you can play that deck if you want to. You can go on to rank 25 in Wild and just play Secret Paladin, and it doesn't matter what the meta's like if you just want to do that again. There were decks that Naga Sewage was part of before it got changed. Um, one in particular was um, the Astral Communion Druid deck. That was kind of a thing off and on. It was kind of the precursor to Big Druid. Um, for those of you who don't remember, Astral Communion was a spell in the Grand Tournament that was four mana, um, gain ten mana crystals, discard your hand. So what would happen is that you would basically try to ramp as quickly as you could and you would get, or, or you would just like, you know, get stuff and then play Astral Communion and just draw cards. You'd draw with Nourish, you'd have Wild Growths usually, and that, those would draw you cards once you're at 10 mana. If you play Astral Communion with an empty hand, it gives you, it acts like Wild Growth. So there's a, there's a lot of different things that you can do to, to kind of just get a bunch of big minions out. And it was like the big Druid of the day. You'd run Deathwing, you'd run Emperor Thorson, you'd run... Um, Archthief Arch Rafam, maybe, like, you know, every, like, obnoxiously big minion in there, and then you just rely on, like, sometimes you try to try to get Astral Communion, you probably have Yasharaj, 
you know, you could imagine what would be in this. I mean, it's not too far off from what Big Druid was a couple of rotations ago. You can't play that deck now because that, or you can play that deck now, but you can't play that deck as it was originally designed because that relied upon Naga Sea Witch as originally um, it behaved as part of that deck. Because if you're always at 10 mana, you play Naga Sea Witch and now you can play a 5-5 in another card and then you can maybe play two 10 drops the next turn. Right? And you can't do that anymore. Like, and that, and that's kind of sad. Like, I've Astral Communion Druid, like, one of the things I'm really enjoying about Wild in particular is that I can go play decks that I wasn't able to play before. Like, I crafted Aviana and I can play Maligos Druid. Um, I can I can play the new Togwoggle Druid too, but, like, I can play decks that I couldn't play because I didn't have the cards for them. I can play Control Priest with Light Bombs. I can play Control Warrior with, with Elise, right? Like, I can do all those things. I can never play that Astral Communion deck because I just now have the cards for it, and then they changed... Once I got the cards for it, they changed Naga Sea Witch so that I couldn't play that deck anymore. So I think it's good in terms of making Wild a better place. I think it's bad in terms of the spirit of Wild, and I really do wish that they'd just change it to the way they, that it behaved before. I don't know how they would have had to contort the English language in order to get that card to behave the same way, but I really am kind of sad that that's a deck that I will never get the chance to go play again. It's it's up there with, like, pre-nerf Patron Warrior. Like, I'm never going to be able to play that deck. And that's sad, right? Like, I want to be able to go back and experience those decks, and they I'd like for them to not be completely transient experiences, but some of them are because of decisions like this. And, that, and, and I think that if you're going to change wild, you should try to avoid doing that. Um, that said, I am excited to play wild without having to deal with a whole bunch of giants coming down in my face and see what that, what that leads to. Okay. So real quick, as far as standard is concerned, what is the meta going to look like and what should you do? First of all, um, I would say as usual, you probably dust anything that's worth dusting, like any, like the Nagasi, which maybe, maybe not, um, you probably do, you probably do just dust them if you need the dust, um, you would probably dust your call to arms and, um, and the, the rogue quest, and the reason being that you can dust them immediately, get the full value, and then if they turn out to be good, you recraft them, or you recraft them later when, when you have the dust for them. Um, I... I think there's going to be a Paladin deck. I would imagine it's probably going to be Murloc Paladin just because Murloc Paladin is going to be the least affected by the Call of the Arms nerf. Um, it's... Five mana is still fine. You used to play Finja. Maybe it goes more to a mid-range style than a control style the way that it was before Call of the Arms came out. Um, maybe you run like things like, like Spike Rich Deeds again. But I think that there's some there's room for some sort of a Murloc Paladin again. I don't think that lost too much in the rotation. You can fill in with thing with with some of the smaller drops, and then um, Call of Arms is still a fine card at five mana in that deck. I think that Odd Paladin might get a little bit more attention. I think even Paladin's probably going to be done for a while, just because the games where you don't draw a Call to Arms, which is basically what this is going to be, are really slow, and it, you end up drawing two drops when you need anything that's higher power. And I think that deck's going to be too inconsistent without Call to Arms thinning out those two drops in order to to be competitive the way that it was. Um, you can play Even Shaman right now and kind of feel what that's going to be like, and I think that Even Shaman might be a deck to keep an eye on. Um, I think both Even Shaman and the Shutterwalk Shamans are coming along really well, and they just have too many super high power things to deal with right now, and I think that I would look at those as something that may be something that happens in the meta going forward. I think that um, the 
Odd Warrior and Recruit Warrior are just close enough that those could be viable decks. I'm not sure what Control Priest does. Um, I, I don't know that this Mind Blast version is something that's going to persist, or if that's just something that's a reaction to the decks that are good in the meta. Like, if you don't need to kill Warlock and you don't need to be able to burst down Questro, do you need to play that kind of a control priest? Do you go back to Spiteful Priest? Do you do some sort of like a mid-rangey priest with maybe you maybe you go back, maybe I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm tilted in windmills, but maybe Lady in White's a card that you could look at with you know, Coffin Crasher and, and Obsidian Statue and the, the matriarch and stuff like that. Maybe that that's kind of some. I think there's some territory that hasn't been explored that will be explored again because deck building is always a function of the meta, and there's some deck types that have just not just been kind of abandoned really quickly just because they can't keep up with what was strong in the meta. So I think that um, I think Warlock's still going to be played in some some shape or form. I think that Spiteful Druid will probably continue to be played. I would imagine that Odd Rogue is probably a big winner in this. Maybe Miracle Rogue comes back too. Um, I think that I do think the Chaman's going to come out of this better. I think that we may get more class diversity after this, which would be nice. Um, I, I guess what I would say is, if you're going to be playing in the next week, I think you can make a legitimate decision whether you want to play in this meta or not. If you're really sick of it, I don't think there's any shame in taking a break until I would expect these nerfs to come down Monday or Tuesday. That's usually been the pattern that um, that they announced the nerfs one week and then the following Monday or Tuesday that as soon as the HTT is done, the patch comes out and then the nerfs are live. So if you wanted to take the next three or the next four or five days off, I don't, I, I don't think I would blame you. If you are going to play for the next four or five days, if you're not looking to try hard, I would try one of those decks that's just good enough and try to get used to them. If you are try harding, I would just take one of those decks that's going to be nerfed and I would probably pick uh, Paladin or Warlock. And if you don't want to play one of those, play Control Priest. And just, just jam those and get as much of the ranks out of them as you can now because they're pretty they're they're officially broken and you may as well, you know, use that to your advantage while you can. Alright, so I know this was a bit of a longer show, but I also had a longer commute, so I decided to share it with you and thank you for coming along on the ride with me. I uh I do super appreciate you taking the time to listen. Um as always you can find the show notes and all the links from this show at offcurve.com. Um, you can also go to find the HTT deck browser that hopefully I'll have up in time for the weekend um, at uh, multiball.net slash HTT decklists. Um, you also find a link to that from offcurve.com. And uh, you can follow the show's account if you just want announcements of when you, new episodes are going live at offcurve. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter for all of my random shenanigans. I'm at wickedgood. And you can also follow me on Twitch. I usually stream Sunday evenings and hopefully we'll find another night to um, to work that in at uh, twitch.tv slash wickedgoodfm and uh, please do go ahead and uh, leave reviews on iTunes it really does um, it does help a lot and you know again uh, I'm doing this just because I love doing it and one of the things that helps for me and, and really for anybody who puts this kind of content out is just you know, hearing feedback and hearing pe- that people are enjoying the show and that, um, and that, you know, this is content that you enjoy. Um, so in, in addition to, you know, reviews kind of help surface the, uh, the podcast when you're, when you're doing searches on iTunes and other things. And, and we did get a, a review from, uh, from Corey watch with a car emoji as the review title, um, who says, I like wicked good a lot. And this, and I like this podcast just as much. 
Off Curve is a lot like the movie Drive, except if Ryan Gosling was talking about Hearthstone rather than making really sharp turns and hiding from the police. Thanks for all your work. It's appreciated. So, and I appreciate you taking the time to write that review, Corey. I have not seen Drive. I have not seen most movies, so I have no idea what the reference is, but I will assume that that's a good thing. <laughs> um, so you could do that. Uh, you know, you can go into iTunes and, and search there as well. There are other podcast directories, but that's the one that kind of just gets the most traffic so that, that I don't want to have you going all over the place. Um, anyway, that's, that's all I got for this week. I know it's a longer show. Thank you for, thank you for listening. Um, I always appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a lot of places where you can put your podcast listening time and I appreciate you spending the time with me this week, um, and every week. And so I will leave you and thank you. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about some data next week. We'll talk about some nerdy stat stuff. I'm hoping, um, you know, hopefully things will settle down a little bit, but until then, uh, be good to each other and, uh, have a good one.